Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. I am Dan Lust, joined this episode by Evan Mattel. Evan, your grand debut. How's it feel? Hey, long awaited. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, I've been on the team for a year now. Finally got the call to the big league. So uh, here we are. <laughs> it hasn't been quite a year. It's getting a close. But Evan, uh, for those that don't know, our contributors know Evan very well. Evan is the guy that makes ConductDetrimental.com run. Evan runs edits, reviews, uh, and looks at every piece that enters the site. So Evan has become a very pivotal and, dare I say, an indispensable person to what we do. So you and I are, we talk every couple of days, so uh, it was definitely long overdue. I remember, I don't know, about two, three months ago, I said, when you make your debut, what do you want to talk about? And you said the Yankees. So I'm like, well, the Yankees just got eliminated from the postseason. So let's close the book on what was an eventful season. So Evan, are you ready to dive into all things sports lawyer? Yeah, let's absolutely do. We got a ton to talk about. A lot of things going on in the world. So, okay. Here's at least the rundown as, as I see it. Kanye. People didn't think we were going to talk about Kanye. You are, you are mistaken. Kanye actually runs a sports, we're we going to call it sports marketing agency, Evan? Yeah, sports marketing agency. We got Kanye with ties to Donda Sports. We have maybe a brief appearance from Antonio Brown, which I was unaware runs Donda Sports for Kanye. So we have a legal story from Antonio Brown separately. Then we touched on this very briefly last week, the $100 million chess defamation lawsuit, which I think it's time to just kind of do a little bit of recap on Deshaun Watson, Trevor Bauer, $100 million defamation case don't happen. So I'm going to get into that. Then we have a special interview today. Dan Wallach and myself, we interviewed the Better Edge guys. We interviewed Greg Kajuski and James Siles. You know, they have heard through the grapevines that Conlon is now 4-1-1 one, one in his pick. So they said, can we come on, talk about the platform? And I'm like, you can, but let us talk about how two buddies basically create a sports company from scratch, which seems to be kind of what we might have done at Women's Conduct Detrimental, but not nearly as profitable, we'll say, as, um, as Better Edge has been. So definitely congrats to those guys if you're into the sports betting space. They've won some awards in space for their ingenuity. So we'll, we'll get into it. It's interesting kind of VC stuff. I think that is a good place to put it. So Evan, I'm going to give you the honors. You read every everything that goes onto the site. I feel like you have a good feel for this stuff. Give us kind of the high level background on what's going on in Kanye, because you told me some stuff. I'm usually pretty good at this. You told me some stuff that I was not aware of. So give us the rundown on Kanye West and his ties to the law, his ties to sports. Right. So yay, as he's formerly known now, obviously has ties twofold to the sports industry. On the one side, he's got his Adidas deal, which now has been terminated. Adidas did that, I believe, uh, today or yesterday. And there's going to be some IP struggle with that. So Kanye owns the trademark Yeezy, but Adidas owns all of his shoe design IP. So keep your eyes out for that as that develops. And then on the other side, his, uh, his sports marketing agency lost probably its two biggest clients, Aaron Donald, uh, almost assuredly a Hall of Famer in the National Football League, and uh, Jalen Brown, one of the uh, young rising stars on the runner-up Celtics. So, uh, yeah, not a good week for Kanye. A lot going on on his side, and none of it's good. That was very well said. I saw some numbers, and maybe you can give me, give me some more. This is real. I'm hearing that Kanye losing the Adidas deal. And listen, you reap what you sow, right? I'm sure that Kanye is saying that Adidas can't let me go for anti-Semitic comments. You know, that's like staring down the trigger. You're really daring them to do it. And I'm seeing that because he's losing these deals. It's, I'm sure it's a assortment of a number of issues, but it's leaving a $1.5 billion dent in his net worth. And I imagine that's, you know, over a period of time, over the course of the deal, but like 
I mean, $1.5 billion. Like, how many people do you know that lose that much money in like a day? I, I've never, I mean, it's probably happened, but no one in that high profile sense. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about Adidas is almost synonymous with Yeezy now. I mean, the shoes alone are such a high demand type thing. And you put on his clothing, which is very high in the trendy market. You know, Kanye's kind of out of the music game, which is what got him here. So I would imagine a bulk of that revenue is flown through Adidas. And obviously the smart thing for Adidas was to part ways with him. So, you know, he's in some tough water there, you know, no longer with Kim Kardashian. So those streams of revenue are are thinning up real quick. Listen, Evan, I'll be the first to admit it. My wife keeps up with the Kardashians, so I'm familiar <laughs> with what's going on in that world. And like when you're married to someone that keeps up with the Kardashians, you have to keep up. And that's why they yeah. call the show <laughs> Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I've been following it. Not that, you know, Evan, you and I were talking offline. Both have Judaism in our family. So it's offensive, right? But I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get in a grandstand and say that this is, you know, this is the first time it's ever happened in, in you know, in sports or anything like that. But you know, it's it's not great. You know, I feel a little bit different with Kanye. I watched, they, they released this, it's out there, it, Tucker Carlson, like unreleased footage of his interview with Kanye. And, uh, you know, there, there are some people that spew hate because they really, truly, deeply mean it. And they've felt this their entire lives. But this is just me. When I was watching Kanye on those clips, and people could see them. He is like spouting out things. Like if you just read the transcript and you didn't know who was saying this, you would you think that this person is just uh, in, in a very weird, dark place. So, you know, I've watched the Kanye documentaries. I, uh, at one point in time, I listened to Kanye religiously, you know, when his albums first coming out when I was in high school and college. But yeah, this seems like a very different guy. So I'm not sure what, what exactly is going on. Kanye certainly doubled and tripled down. And there's been some kind of ugly rhetoric that's come out of this. So the whole situation's bad. Like, I don't wish ill upon uh, anybody. But, you know, in this day and age, like, for better or for worse, right? Like if you spew hate, there's usually consequences for it. So people can get on their bandwagon and say like, first amendment this, first amendment that, but you know, Adidas, you know, had the ability to do this. And obviously it was on Kanye's mind when he went out and publicly said, I can make anti-Semitic comments and Adidas won't let me go. So Evan, you know, as I say on social media all the time, assumption of the risk. Probably not the best movie. I don't know if you saw this. He went to Skechers to try to partner for his Yeezy brand. And the CEO of Skechers is Jewish. So he promptly turned him away. I did not see that. I mean, you know, it, it's just an ugly situation. And then, you know, on top of it, like, the, okay, Kanye's making all these comments. Kanye has people underneath him that he employs, right. that, he, that he has these jobs. So, you know, when you get to that high profile of a position, yes, you might think you're invincible to a certain point, but I'm sure Kanye is going to feel like a legitimately a $1.5 billion dent. That's you got to feel that in some way, shape or form. So then what comes out, uh, you know, you mentioned it, Aaron Donald and Jalen Brown, Aaron Donald, obviously of the Rams, Jalen Brown of the Celtics, two pretty high profile guys immediately dropped from Donda sports label. Donda is obviously Kanye's mom. She named after her as a complete side note. I watched a video clip that was Another bizarre clip from the uh, Donda School singing, singing, uh, singing songs. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was strange. That was very strange. Yeah, their basketball team has been getting scrutiny now, too. They got removed from a tournament because of the, the comments. His, his basketball academy team, so. I mean, there's, there's ramifications here. And then, you know, yeah. you, you run a company, Donda Sports, you lose your two highest, I imagine. Do they have anybody else other than those two, or is that it? I believe those are like the only two real high profile guys. So then this is what comes with it, right? Okay. So let's say you have a high profile agency, you lose your top two guys. Basically the company doesn't really exist anymore. If your top two guys leave, right? The guy running down the sports was like, you know what? I'm staying on the ship. I'm not jumping off in 2022. We have to stand up for people. Evan, that man 
is a man that is no stranger to sports law controversies. The only Antonio Brown, that's what he's been doing in retirement. Unbelievable. I mean, unbeknownst to me until I think today, when I found out Antonio Brown is the president of Don. I mean, how perfect is that? Those two, Antonio Brown, Kanye West, are parallels in sports entertainment industry right now. You know, it's funny speaking, you, you nailed it. Like speaking of like, I mean, Kanye West is losing streams of revenue. So he's got to go to sketchers. Like, like Antonio Brown's been perking up on social media recently. Like, you know, maybe a year or two ago, whenever he was going through whatever he was doing on social media, you know, Antonio Brown was attacking people. Now he's just kind of like, he's not attacking people. He's just kind of, you know, I don't know. I'll say trolling Tom Brady. I don't know what, yeah. you know, and we're going to talk about it, but like, I don't know what, I'm like, what does Antonio Brown do? Like, I, I go on Instagram and I, I'm going to guess that you get this too. I pop on Instagram and obviously I look at a lot of sports betting stuff. So one of these paid par- partnerships that are paid sponsors that I get when I'm scrolling Instagram is like, this is Antonio Brown here and I'm here for Fliff. Fliff is a sports betting app. And I'm like, what is Fliff? Like, yeah. why is Antonio Brown partnering with Fliff? So those are his two streams of revenue. I guess Donda Sports and Fliff. That's it. Yeah, I mean, there can't be much else going on. I mean, that video of him that surfaced recently doesn't look good. The recent settlement, which I know we're going to get into, not good. I mean, obviously, his playing career is over as he uh, danced off the Jets' end zone. So another guy not having a lot of cash flowing in right now. Speaking of that image with the Jets, um, I did see that he like did a posted a very an interesting Photoshop of Tom Brady piecing out. So he like somebody, I guess, photoshopped Tom Brady onto Antonio Brown's body, and Antonio Brown tweeted out, "I don't know what goes to the man's head. I don't." Yeah, I don't understand the Tom Brady stuff. I mean, he, he revived your borderline dead career. Like, let's be honest, when he left the Steelers, that was like kind of it. And then Brady took him into his own home, you know, with wife and children. And then, yeah, Brown, maybe it's because Brady's in the news a lot. Big figure. Uh, keep his name in the headlines. But uh, I don't I don't get that that hate there or that that level of trolling. So. Yeah, I think maybe it's just important. You know, I like to wade into these PR, you know, weeds and I like to read the statements. I, I think it, it gives us an indication of why people are doing things. So, yes, Tony O'Brown remaining on as the president of Donda Sports. So I'm going to read part of his statement, which, you know, remains to be seen if it was written by him. But obviously it, you would think it's something that he adopted or would wanted to you know, get out in the open. So to quote, none of us in this world are free of judgment. Yet we live in a time where scrutiny and pessimism have driven our dialogues on cultural issues towards uh, diatribes, sensationalism, and groupthink have forced people to not speak their minds and act out of fear rather than in love. So he goes on and he basically saying he, uh, he actively seeks to coexist in places where I can have a difference of opinion and it's okay. So, you know, then he goes on discrimination of any kind is unjust to all people, whatever. So I, I don't know, like you, you can't, it's very tough from a PR standpoint and I do follow the PR stuff of this. It's uh, my, my early indoctrination to sports law or sports is PR. And it, it's tough. Like, I don't love the statement. Uh, I just be speaking candidly, maybe, maybe from my own standpoint, but like, I am one to some extent for free speech. Like, you know, I, I, people can have a difference of opinion, but you know, as, as we learn in, in law school, right? Like some speech is not protected, right? You can't just go off and spew hatred and spread lies. I mean, that's, that could serve the basis of a defamation case. It's not necessarily that these were falsehoods that are actionable from a defamation standpoint, but yeah, there's certain uh, free speech that, that's not protected. And certainly when it comes to, you know, private associations, yes, you were free, you know, might have free speech in like a public forum, but like, you know, when it comes to certain forums, like, yeah, private forums, you, you don't really have free speech and you can be penalized for saying it. So again, it's certainly the assumption of the risk and uh, it's kind of an odd 
I guess Brown's not playing the NFL again, but it's an odd look to, to basically say like discrimination of any kind is an injustice to all people. But like what Kanye said is OK. Like that. Yeah, I condemn this, but I'm, I'm going to stay with it. Yeah, I mean, not out of character, I guess, for Antonio Brown. I don't exactly think he's the, the moral you know pinnacle of humanity. Still, I mean, it's a shame. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I didn't really even know Brown was associated with Donda Sports, let alone the president until today. So I don't know what they're going through. I'm sure that's a PR nightmare. I don't know how closely Brown was to issuing a statement like that. But like you said, I'm sure the general sentiment of what he wanted to get across is conveyed there. You touched on it at the beginning. Kanye doesn't seem like a guy who's genuinely hateful, but those comments uh, that he's made, and there's plenty of them, are uh, to the point where it's kind of hard to just let go and say, well, that's a mistake. Okay, so Evan, you, you referenced it. Antonio Brown separately in the news. Uh, we can hit this one fairly quick. The story we covered, I don't know, maybe a year, year and change ago at this point. But um, what's the latest on the true uh, Antonio Brown legal dispute? Right. So Antonio Brown, a uh, quick refresher, uh, allegedly assaulted a moving truck driver in 2020. Uh, that has now come to a head after he refused and responded to show up to hearings. He was ordered to pay $1.2 million in damages, uh, 407000 of that to cover past and future medical expenses, 793000 for past and future pain and suffering. So Evan, the part that you left out, which uh, I think is I think is relevant. This is, uh, and I don't know if we've ever discussed this on the podcast. This was a default proceeding, so you get sued for a lot of things, right? Some of them are going to be legit, some of them are not going to be legitimate. But if you don't put in an answer, you uh, the other side is capable of taking what's called a default judgment against you. So it's basically uh, they're going to just move on. So what happened to you? This one point two million dollars. When I when you said it, it sounded like a lot, and obviously we we did our digging on it. But I mean, Antonio Brown didn't didn't put an answer, didn't show up for any of the proceedings in the case and that there was a trial, you know, with respect to the damages. But with respect to his issue of uh, the issue of liability, if Brown actually did. I think he would he throw rocks at the guy. Wasn't that what it was? Yeah. And then didn't want to pay him the four thousand dollars. So, yeah, I, I remember he, he was moving. It was a delivery truck driver that took the stuff across like uh, it was like a big, a big haul. I think it was when he went from the Raiders to the Patriots, if memory serves. Yeah. So yeah, it was a big move and then Brown didn't want to pay him. And I, I remember it's one of the first radio hits I did. Brown throwing rocks at the guy, I think was, you know, it was in theory assault with a, a dangerous weapon, like throwing giant rocks at the guy. But yeah, Brown doesn't contest liability and uh, $1.2 million. They just had a trial on the damages. So I'm sure the guy submitted medical records. I'm sure he had like mental health records and there's no one on the other side to try to chop that down. So unless the judge, you know, by his or herself wants to fight those numbers, you know, they're basically going to accept the number as long as it's somewhat reasonable. So yeah, uh, not the wisest move by Antonio Brown. Like, I mean, Evan, if they called, if they called me up, would you be like my number two on that case? I would be right next to you. I mean, uh, considering the first, the initial ask was 30,000. So, uh, you know, not showing up to court cost him about uh, 1.17 million there. <laughs> it's good math. Um, yeah, I I don't get this. And I, listen, I could think Antonio Brown says a lot of dumb things, you know, and not showing up to court and fighting this probably is another one. But yeah, I mean, there's would have been a ton of people that would have, I mean, there's, there's certainly, that number doesn't make any sense. $1.2 million. I don't know, unless the guy was in the hospital for like rocks being attempted, thrown at him. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe he lost a job. Maybe there was, you know, various uh, employment related claims, but just the number just doesn't make sense. But here we are. I think uh, Brown at one point faced felony charges on that from uh, the criminal side, but he he negotiated down. So whatever. And actually now, now that I remember, I mean, that was what he was suspended for. So like, I think that was the triggering event 
that led to Brown being suspended for eight games at the NFL. So he wasn't, I think the NFL was kind of weird about whether he was suspended for the sexual assaults, the sexual assault allegations or this, but I know that was seemingly the triggering event. Yeah. Start the 2020 season. Evan, we've been covering sports law for a while here. That was like one of our first topics in the show. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest ones. I mean, Brown's given us plenty of content over the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, at the time that came out, I mean, he was one of football's biggest stars still. And uh, doing stuff like this, I mean, silly stuff costs a lot of money and, and cost him, you know, the back end of his career. Yeah. I mean, at one point, Antonio Brown was certainly trending to be uh, in Canton. And now I think we'd yeah. probably all be surprised if he ends up as a Hall of Famer. Okay, Evan, let, let us take a break here. And I have not done this, so it's time to do some business, Evan. The show is sponsored by Themis Bar Review, the top bar prep company in the galaxy. Congrats to Jason Morin, Evan, your guy over at Hofstra and our guy over here. He passed the New York bar. So big shout out to him. And Jason, big proponent of Themis Bar Review. If you're not yet using Themis, I am not sure why not. Uh, but yes, use our promo code CONDUCT to get a special discount code over there. And I think I think the earlier you sign up, so if you're like a 1L or a 2L and you're listening to this, you're like, uh, worry about the bar in like two years. I th- I'm pretty sure. And I mean, you can reach out to me. I'll find out. But if you reach out to me and you're like a 1L and you're reaching out early, I'm pretty sure there's like some pretty steep discount code. So if you have a significant other that's like yelling at you that you're wasting all this money, you could be like, oh, no, I just saved a lot of money by signing up for bar prep. So definitely do that. For our interview, Greg Kajewski and James Siles over at Better Edge. Uh, a quick story about how we got in touch with them. And then, you know, obviously we're going to just jump right into it. We have been hesitant to use gambling sponsors on the podcast just because Dan represents a lot of them in his private practice. Uh, you name a betting company, Dan has done work for them. So we were, it was kind of a song and dance whether we wanted to do it or not. And we reached out to Better Edge. We had some conversations with them and we, we were trying to make it work and, you know, with all good intentions. And then what happened was Dan was at an industry event and they're going to talk about it a little bit on the, on the interview, but Dan was at an industry event where Greg and James won like the rising star award for the sports betting industry. And we're like, whoa, that that's game changer. So we did some more due diligence on our end on, uh, with Dan's clients, if we can make it work and everything cleared and I'm happy. Like, you know, we, I think, and, and Conduct Detrimental as a show are at the cutting edge of a lot of different issues. One thing that we do not do that we probably should do. We don't, there's a lot of like sports business issues. And I want to say like venture capital type issues where investors are curious about potential issues. And we cover sports betting. Like Dan does talks to some pretty high level financial companies without me saying anything else. But the, that industry, the sports, uh, the, the venture capital world, the Wall Street world, they're very curious of these sports betting issues because I was doing um, some research for a, a LinkedIn post I actually put up this morning, but like the sports betting industry in 2022 is set to do actually, Evan, let me see if you can get this over or under 5 billion. I would say over easy over $10 billion. And that's, that's with only 30 wow. States that wow. have it. Like DraftKings and all these companies are still running like these new, new customer promotions. So like they barely tapped into the market. So that's why, you know, I, I think, you know, people looking for law review articles, different stuff and, and stuff to talk about for panels. We could talk about sports betting issues, you know, what's going on in California, which is a separate Dan will bring it up right at the end of our interview. But I think two buddies creating a, a pretty big and, and um, you know, uh, I want to I'm not going to disclose their stuff, but they have a lot of investor interest uh, for their company. And, you know, they reached out to us because we we're obviously talking about the legal issues on different sites. Dan's done a ton of stuff in the, the, the daily fantasy space. And now, you know, we're, we're talking more content in the, the true kind of legalized sports betting space. 
And these guys have a very different model and all credit to them, you know, being named a rising star in an industry worth 10, you know, obviously more than 10 billion, that's just legalized sports betting. I don't know how much the, the general rate is it across the country, but they, they've found a way to kind of combine social media with sports betting. I'm interested. I think hopefully everyone's interested in this. So we promote them every week. We're going to have Conlon on next episode to talk about his betting picks, but yeah, uh, they are better edge. Use our promo code conduct. Uh, I know we're talking about billions of dollars, but our promo code there free $20. So maybe at some point, like these guys will go big and like you can do like a billion dollar match promo code, but for the time being, $20 free promo, promo code if you use our promo code conduct. You'll listen, they have some really interesting stuff. So you can create your own lines there and basically, uh, I don't know, goad people into taking your line. So Evan, you probably would do uh, some Yankee lines that would have gotten you in a lot of trouble, like Yankees coming back and winning in seven. Man, a lot Personally. of digs, a lot of Yankees digs. Well, there'll be more. Okay, so <laughs> let us kick it over to Greg Kajewski and James Siles and Dan Wallen will even join us for this. And uh, yeah, let's kick it over there. So a special treat for Conduct Detrimental listeners, you guys have heard about Better Edge. Conlon successfully now gone to 4-1-1 with his picks. And these guys were so happy. They're like, you know what? Why don't we come on the show, talk a little bit of sports law, sports betting. And maybe for our listeners, an interesting story about how one might have a crazy idea to start your own sports betting company and really maybe any type of sports company. There's a lot, a lot of fun stuff here. So we're joined by Greg Kajewski and James Siles of Better Edge. Welcome to Conduct Detrimental. Thanks for having us. I know where you guys are based, but uh, maybe you could tell our listeners. You guys uh, freezing over there? We are. So we're both based in Minneapolis, myself, Greg, and then obviously James here is with me. And it's starting to get cold, but it's uh, kind of a nice fall time that uh, it's not too bad yet. So appreciate you having us on to talk about Better Edge. And we've always been a huge fan of your show. Uh, that's a real becoming a real hub for sports betting. What's going on? Uh, got Sport Radar, Better Edge. What is it about Minneapolis? Is it a kind of a, a hub for tech companies or just purely coincidental? Yeah, I think a couple of things really came to fruition probably five to 10 years ago. And you had, you know, Sport Engine that started here, Sport Radar that started here. And a lot of those individuals in the industry have continued to innovate and spin off and start new companies and do all kinds of things. So we're definitely in good company. We had our founding story via Sport Radar Innovation challenge that we went ahead and pitched our vision of kind of what better edge was and we ended up winning that about two two and a half years ago now and uh just the community around here has been extremely you know great at helping us find our way and navigate kind of the startup space we're pretty excited to have our founding in minneapolis and continue to kind of expand outside of that as well it's also a pretty underrated sports town for a town that hasn't had a championship since i think the twins in the early 90s, um, there's a lot of excitement around sports here. Like just even the local sports show here is, I, th I think, the number one in the country for a local sports radio show. So uh, a very loyal sports base that is hungry for sports betting and sports betting content. Rudy Gobert would probably agree with that statement. So, OK, I guess this is where I, I was really curious. Uh, you know, when you guys agreed to come on the show, I, I had. Yeah, I have a couple of questions. I probably know more about you guys than, than the listeners do, but this was the main one that I think can relate across sports law, sports business, really any, any type of facet that, that you know, should provide some type of insight. You know, obviously, since um, you know, 2018, there's been a uh, lack of better term, right? Kind of like a gold rush. I think we can say that, that like there's a lot of money being poured into sports betting. You're seeing, obviously, the DraftKings and the FanDuel's that had the DFS kind of lead up to this. Those companies 
have a lot of the market share, right? They, they, they have a lot of the market share. They're making a ton of money. You see the commercials everywhere. So obviously there's a lot of money to go around. There's always, you know, other options, right? There's Coke and there's Pepsi. I think the, there is a hesitancy from a lot of, uh, I'm speaking about me personally, um, people that don't, they're like, okay, great. Everyone's betting. The house always wins. We will lose constantly. Um, you know, when you go to the casino, I lose every time, you know, blackjack, I lose. Sports betting maybe is a little different. It's obviously a uh, skill element that Dan and I can have a separate uh, password conversation on that. But you guys have a very different model, right? So people are scared of house wins every time. Why am I betting against the site? It's in theory tapping into a market that, that is not currently betting on sports. So I, I think I know this, but is, is that generally the impetus of the social betting and, and trying to go into that lane? You know, we started this really with a fintech background and a you know, theory that Robinhood and Venmo are platforms that we use every day that don't take a fee. And there's very social elements to Venmo. And when you start to really study and analyze consumer behavior on sports betting, we realize that sports betting is very social as well. You know, you have different users that want to do it to make money, but you also have a lot of users out there that have fun with it. And I think fantasy is a great example of that. You grab 10 of your college friends, 10 of your coworkers, and everyone gets together and you start that kind of trash talk behavior. And as we look at sports betting, there's a lot of fun with that as well. So if you're betting on, you know, Minnesota this weekend and your friends are doing that, you want to see what they're doing, why they're doing, you want to ride together with them. So that was really our first impetus on kind of creating that no fee platform that connects users in a social behavior. And it's really grown massively into saying, how do we build an entire ecosystem and community around that through media, through content, uh, so that users can have one spot to really find all of that information about sports betting. And I think for us, I mean, when we talk to other companies or other ideas coming up, it seems like all the innovation has just been around like, okay, we have betting, let's make a new way we can bet. Let's add two player props together. Let's do this weird stat that we can bet on. Let's do live in-game play-by-play betting. All the innovation has been really around changing bet types and stuff. And really, I think what we think of innovation is not necessarily on that landscape, but more on how do we innovate as a business in an industry that has not innovated its business model in years, right? Even when casinos went online to online sports books, the model's still the same. It's, hey, give us 10 bucks. Player two, give us 10 bucks. Let's take our fee. Let's kick it back out. And that's really been the revenue model plus some other, you know, they're going to win against you, right? And so we looked at it as, okay, the revenue model in fintech has changed from, you know, 10 years ago, you could go to Charles Schwab or wherever, they charge you eight bucks a commission to do a trade. And that was the revenue model, right? Same on the insurance end, it's fee-based, fee-based. And they've changed because of these innovative companies that didn't come in and say, hey, buy a stock differently. You're still buying a stock, but they innovated on the business and revenue model side. And that's really what we're trying to do. And the exchange model just played perfectly to that, which allows us to take that VIG, take that fee out. And really, we're just a, a content platform that allows you to bet, right? So we're sort of agnostic on the betting. We don't care who wins, who loses. As long as we give you the materials to come back, then you know we're going to succeed as a platform. What's funny is I've heard other betting, more traditional betting sites say that. Like, we don't care who wins, who loses, because they win every time. And obviously, as long as the line is equal, um, they don't really, they actually don't care as long as they can you know, modify that line. 
So I have an well, interesting they want, one. They want you to lose, no. right? Because well, obviously, right. Uh, yeah. A lot of times they'll <laughs> no, but, have the position on one side. But as long as the, the this this is to the point, um, oh, I'll tell you something that I don't know, may, maybe has come up at your investor meetings and, and whatnot. But like, you know, that concept of making sure the line is even, like you guys have to, like I've said this on the pod before, so I'm not breaking any rules. Like during, uh, you know, the COVID saga, when quarterbacks were getting ruled out with COVID, it was a five or six point swing in the line. So, you know, uh, I don't want to say my group because it was my knucklehead college friends, but like our, you know, our, our text group could take advantage of that. And it was, it was, you know, it was fair game. Those lines were on the board. First one to Twitter got to win. It was an interesting dynamic, but there was obviously some exposure by having that line out there. So you guys don't have that. Now I'll tell you what, what I did find interesting this past weekend, the Jets line, I'm a big, obviously big football guy here. The Jets line opened at Jets plus three to what was supposed to be the Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson. Over the course of the week, that line then flipped, uh, and I think ended closed at like Jets at Broncos plus one. So it was like a decent move, four, four and a half point move. We went on your site on Saturday, wherever it was, Friday or Saturday, and there were betters, uh, users on your site that I guess were still buying in, like they had, had a juiced up Jets line. So it was like Jets plus three minus whatever it was, 265 or whatever, whatever we saw it at. But that's interesting, right? It, it's allowing the user to create a line out of thin air that doesn't exist. So you're really buying the Jets. You really want to tempt somebody like that's that doesn't exist elsewhere. So you guys are doing something very different. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's interesting. One of the things we've seen as well is users will go out and buy you know Jets plus three to start the week. And then as news comes out and changes, they can go back and sell that to the marketplace at a profit or a premium, allowing for them to lock in that, you know, gain before the game even starts and be able to monetize that, which I think is a really cool, you know, feature functionality of just how our platform works. I mean, I'll ask this, man, it's probably a good into Dan's jurisdiction a little bit. We've alluded to it, but like, you know, obviously the DFS uh, talking about re-engineering the space, like that, that was a, it's near and dear to Dan's heart because DFS is what kind of got Dan into this, the sports betting space initially, but somebody's had that thought, right. And then several platforms were created off of it. Um, and now what is the next thing, right? What, where is the future of, of sports betting going to take us, right? You have the traditional house model, which what's happening now, yes, it's legal, but this is the same model that's been in place for, for years. Like what, what's the big thing that's going to be, you know, we're going to be looking at it like in, uh, I don't know, 2030, right? Is there something that that's uh, you're, you guys are seeing, or maybe that your guys are the ones that, that are going to create it? Yeah, I think, you know, looking 10, you know, eight to 10 years out, we constantly look at other industries. So you look at, you know, fintech innovation, you look at web three innovation, you look at crypto and the decentralization of platforms is obviously the future. So not having a central entity acting as a house, I think is a huge you know, part of that. And what our platform does is there's tons of alignments to web three and allowing for creators to be able to put their content in our platform, actually monetize it through working with other followers, you know, things like that. And then ultimately just being able to put out a, a line to somebody else, whether it's to the entire market, whether it's to your group of friends or whether it's to an head-to-head -head individual, all of that is possible. And you don't have to have a, you know, a sports book in the middle. So we really see, you know, what I would look at is sports betting 2.0, 3.0 of really starting to kind of bring that behavior that naturally occurs. Maybe it's at a sports bar and you're sitting there talking with friends about a game and you decide you want to you know, put some money on it. Uh, that type of behavior is really kind of where I see sports betting going in the next five years, but then it just continues to grow and expand 
throughout the next 10 years is kind of how we look at it. And feel free to add anything, James. Yeah, I'll get a little crazier. Um, I see this as basically the early stages of crypto exchanges, and we're sort of the beginning part of it. So you buying the Packers to win on Sunday at MGM is no different than you buying the Packers to win on Better Edge, right? You may be a different price, 10 to win 19 or 10 to win 21, but all of these sort of companies are creating these, I call them assets, like the Packers to win as an asset, right? It has a value at the end of the day. They're all creating these individual assets out of thin air. And what happened with crypto is you had your initial exchanges, whether it was Coinbase or some of the very early ones. Now you're getting bridges created where it doesn't matter where you buy Bitcoin, you can sell it on a different exchange or a different place, right? Same concept with the sports bet. If I bought Packers to win at MGM, I should get ownership of that sports bet and I should be able to buy and sell and trade it anywhere where pricing and exchanges are occurring. That could be at uh, Caesars, it could be at Better Edge, it could be at Sportrade, it could be at any of these other companies that are doing it. And it doesn't even end there. It's the same with Daily Fantasy. Like the concepts of Daily Fantasy are very similar across all of these different sites. There is a way where these can be bridged to where it is a very decentralized sort of ecosystem and the asset is movable across all of these platforms. And so that's really where I see it going in 10, 15 years. Um, and I hope that we are kind of a part of it. And, you know, we haven't really discussed what our futures are around uh, the exchange model, whether it be white label or anything like that. But that is an option out there, right? If you open connections between companies, you can move your consumer assets around just like you do in fintech, right? I want to ask a question about peer-to-peer -peer wagering in general. I mean, most, of, most of the sports betting that takes place uh, in, in most of the states that, that offer it are house-banked or, or sports books are on the other side of the bet and bear a risk of profit or loss depending on, you know, depending on the outcome of the wager. They've got skin in the game. You're agnostic as to the outcome of the bet. What stands in the way, in your opinion, of peer-to-peer -peer wagering? becoming more prominent in the, in the marketplace, if it's better for the consumer, uh, is it an issue of liquidity? Is it an issue of like the legal frameworks uh, being changed? What, what do you think is the number one reason why peer-to-peer -peer isn't uh, becoming more prominent? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll start with number one. I think it is challenges in liquidity for sure. If you think about just a sports book being able to back a $1 million wager, right? On the exchange model or the peer-to-peer -peer model, it's you just need critical mass of users to be able to do that. So it's really a matter of getting that critical mass. And I don't know if there's really been a true peer-to-peer -peer site that's been able to do that with their models. Our model operates a little differently. We're able to tap into a national liquidity pool because of our revenue model, while others usually have done within each state. The other factor is some of the bet types, and we're, we're working on solving those. So for example, like parlays, uh, teasers, combining types of bets mm -hmm. into one bet, uh, making that user-friendly on both sides, whether you're taking the other side of a parlay or you're part of a parlay, a lot of education and a lot of sort of complicated things have to occur for that to actually be executable in an exchange model. Um, and we're attacking those with, you know, solutions, but until, you know, we solve those issues, then sort of that barrier to it becoming the only thing you use as a consumer is still going to be there. 
Okay, how are you able to retain customers at a much higher percentage than the industry average? I mean, I read a few of the articles uh, that suggest you retain 70%, whereas the average sports book retains only 40%. Can you give us some insight into the secret sauce behind that? Is it just customers that really prefer a peer-to-peer experience? Or is there something else that explains the differentiation in, in how you're able to have such a high retention percentage? Yeah, it's a good question. I think a lot of it comes down to what we're providing outside of you know that transaction. So first off, our product always gives the best price to users without taking a fee. So once you place an order, you know you're going to come back because you're always getting that best price. Second, we give you you know analysis and breakdown on how you're doing historically, so that you're able to use that to figure out how you want to win more. And then you know third, I think a lot of people like to bet with their friends. They like to see what's happening, or you know even their foes. They can say, "Let me follow Dan Lust, and I can go ahead and bet with him. I can copy him. I can fade him, and really kind of turn that into social camaraderie." I think that those types of features and functionality really keep people coming back and liking it a lot more. Yeah, and, and not charging a big, your bankroll lasts longer. Um, so you can come back, uh, even if you've won only 50% of the time, your bankroll is still the same versus you go to a book, you got to win at 54% clip to keep your bankroll there. So you're not going to come back when you go down to zero. Another thing too is, you guys mentioned a story earlier with the Jets. It's the the thrill of the hunt. I feel like the possibility of finding value in a line is so much higher on a platform like ours. And so when people get that leg up on the market and they're like, crap, I got the Vikings at plus 120, the books are charging minus 100, like then you want to come back and get that line again. You want to try to find it. And so there's sort of that thrill of the hunt that gets people to come back and always kind of uh, look around and see what lines they can get. Okay. I want to talk about your uh, award. You, you, know, you, you and I, uh, I guess, crossed paths at the SBC North America Conference in uh, Secaucus, New Jersey, earlier this summer, uh, July 2022. I mean, I'm too old to win any Rising Stars Award. You know, uh, I, I think that's for kind of younger lawyers, younger companies. Can you tell us about the Rising Star Award that you won at SBC North America and what that means for your company. And tell us a little bit about the charitable giving that you've been doing. I think that's impressive in a, in a very competitive marketplace where new companies are trying to, you know, sort of get attention around sports betting. You win this award at a, you know, basically a top shelf gaming industry conference. So tell us a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's always great to be able to run into in person and, and be able to chat and talk about a lot of this. So Always great there. Uh, for us, you know, the Rising Star Award means a ton, really based on what we've done as a community. And I think that award is, you know, our community users can be able to leverage that as here's what I use, here's why it's great. And it gives us tons of validation in the space. And one of the you know accolades that we had building up to receiving that award was anytime users use our platform, if you place a $100 order out there position, you end up saving anywhere from you know four or five dollars with that transaction and our community chose to donate that four or five dollars to charity which was chad greenway's lead the way foundation locally here in minnesota which goes back to masonic children's hospital um, so it helps kids so over the course of that year uh, we donated over ten thousand uh, dollars to different charities chad greenway being a big part of that so that was really kind of one of our first things that we started as a company that we want to continue to do and add a lot of local charities so that users can donate to things that they care and have a lot of passion about. So that was a huge kind of 
milestone for us. And we want to continue to do cool things like that in the community. Let's talk about the sort of the 3,000 pound gorilla, 600 pound gorilla, California. We're just a couple of weeks away from a major ballot, you know, question, you know, being on the ballot in California as to whether to legalize retail sports betting, which would be Proposition 26, or online sports betting, which is Proposition 27. Where do you see that falling? And do you have any preferences as to whether they should both pass, both fail, one versus the other? What's your assessment of that all-important market? You know, obviously, Dan, you have the, the best pulse on that, kind of the assessment. I think for us, the more access the consumer has to different platforms, the better it is. So in person, having that on board is great. And then obviously having mobile option as well is awesome. I think anytime a consumer has more platforms to choose from, the more innovation occurs. And then obviously the consumer wins out of that. I personally believe that we're going to be having this debate about California in two more years because the tea leaves right now, at least the polling that's been released shows that both measures lack sufficient support to clear the 50% threshold. So we may be waiting a little bit longer on that innovation in California. Thanks for, uh, for joining us. Thanks for being part of the Conduct Detrimental family. And uh, I wish you luck with the next uh, award ceremony in the summer of 2023. There's nowhere to go but up once you've had Rising Star. And know when you guys know you're a true star, right? I, as a rising star over here on the lawyer sense, once you don't get rising star awards anymore, that means you've risen. So that's good. You don't want yeah. that. You don't want the awards anymore. I'm just glad you guys are a part of it to help us celebrate because I think it's it's a community award and it's awesome to see uh, all the work that, you know, the team's done and our community has with LoveJerk Platform. So appreciate you guys' support as well. Shout out to Taryn, uh, who uh, came to your uh, launch party uh, over in Minnesota. I've never been to uh, Minnesota, but... If I do, hopefully uh, you'll treat me as hospitable as I saw that you treated Taryn. So from all of us here, we really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for all the support here and continuing to uh, together move in this upward trajectory. Definitely. Thank you. Thanks, guys. So that was Greg Kajuski and James Siles over at Better Edge. Again, our promo code over there is conduct. Check them out. Uh, and yeah, any new users get $20 free in their pocket. And then you can mess around with their lines their uh super bowl version it's not super bowl squares but it's squares throughout the week so they do a lot of fun stuff so um yeah i'm uh, wishing them all the best and uh, a long and happy partnership with us over here okay so evan we do this we do this pretty uh, once a week at this point we have a topic called what to watch where we talk about things we were looking forward ahead i try to find a doc once in a while but um i have my i have my thing have you i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you the honors here um, what's your what to watch for? It's the Yankees. Um, you know, you, you took a quick dig before that interview and uh, might as well go full in here. Astros cheating scandal 2017 kind of kicked off this quote unquote rivalry. Yankees are in a pretty bad spot, got swept at home to uh, to end the series too. And now uh, franchise player Aaron Judge uh, up for a contract rumored to get 300 plus million dollars. A lot of potential others, Dodgers, Giants, maybe the Mets. Look at my hot take here. I know Brian Cashman's up for a contract. I'm not a Cashman hater, but I do think things uh, should change, maybe move to a different position within the organization. And I think Aaron Judge is going to walk away. I know he was unhappy with fans uh, at the home stadium. I'll keep that opinion to myself. But I think uh, if the Giants open up that checkbook back home to California, I think the Yankees lose out on him. And I think the Yankees are looking at a little bit of a rebuild in New York. That was a pretty hot take. I have to think so. I mean, what, what do you think of Boone? Are you okay with them bringing back Boone? Are you fine with that? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think people like to look at the manager as like the scapegoat for an underwhelming season. But I mean, at the end of the day, they're in the ALCS and, you know, Boone can't get out there and hit the ball. I mean, you strike out 50 times in an ALCS. Not much the manager can do but tell you to hit the ball better. So uh, I'm not a Boone hater. I don't think it's Boone's fault. Do I love him? No. Do I hate him? No, he's fine. He's a guy. He handles the press well and, you know, players like him. So. I don't know if he handles the press well. I watched a couple of those post-game press conferences. Uh, how about this one for a hot take? And I will credit it's someone in my firm that has this opinion, but Domingo Herman, where was he, right? Their Cortez right. strange is growing like second, third inning. And I think after game one, after that Verlander game, somebody asked him point blank, like, why wasn't Herman brought in? He's like, I'm saving him for a, you know, a long spot. Right. It's like, I don't know, when your starter has a groin injury in a decisive game, like, where are you? So He's either, you know, being honest is like that fun expression that lawyers have, which, you know, you're lying then or you're lying now. Like, just, just don't want to pitch him. Like, why put him on the roster? But yeah, my, my, uh, I guess it's, I don't think it's that much of a hot take, but like if Aaron Judge is going to remain a Yankee, like, I don't know, you would have to think that he's okay with Boone as the coach. Right. So you don't, you don't usually make that decision unless the star player is okay with it. If Judge hated Boone, I, I don't think Boone would be coming back after everything. So, yeah, that would be crazy if, if Judge ended up as a Dodger. I, and I'm a Giant, I'm a San Francisco Giants fan. That would be it's no, weird enough, like, you know, because I, I like Mookie Betts. I don't like rooting against Mookie Betts, but, you know, it is what it is. But Judge, man, that would be a dagger. That would be so bad. I can't see I can't see Judge with the Dodgers. I don't know what the Dodgers, they just, they grow money with the, the payroll they have is unbelievable. They're going to have Freeman, Judge, Betts. I mean, Bauer, if he comes back, and then they got to resign Trey Turner. They, they just... I think if he goes anywhere, it's the Giants. It's hometown kid. You know, Giants need a star to build around. So if anywhere, don't, I think there. Don't get me tempted. Do not yeah. get me tempted. How do you like my bobblehead collection in the background? It's nice. Good good backdrop. I just got a blurry background because I got a, I got a fish behind me. It's a little jarring sometimes. So My what to watch for. Are you ready for this, Evan? Hit me. Uh, I'm going to weave in a couple things here. I did say we we're going to talk about chess today. Uh, so... Chess, people know, we covered it very briefly. There's an $100 million lawsuit between Magnus Carlsen, the number one chess player of all time, and a guy by the name of Hans Niemann. We've talked about this in the past, but if you missed it, Hans Niemann upset Magnus Carlsen in a way that people found to be very suspicious. And then chess.com released these findings that Hans Niemann had cheated in online tournaments. And, you know, once a cheater, always a cheater. So, you know, um, the insinuation was that uh, Hans Niemann was cheating. Again, We've said it on the show before. We're not going to say it. The mechanism of cheating is uh, inappropriate for this podcast. Somebody, uh, actually a family member of mine was like, I can't believe you said uh, <laughs> what it actually was. It's unique. It's, it's a form of beads. I think that's, I think that's the easiest <laughs> way to say it. It's a bead, bead, bead yeah. cheating. But yeah, so I, I, I spoke to um, Emory Law School this week and I was giving this and I thought this was important. So, you know, whatever. If someone's accused of cheating. Okay. It's a pretty big accusation. Someone's going to be harmed reputationally. Like it's very clear. It's probably going to cost you money and sponsorships if everyone's calling you a cheater. So, you know, Magnus Carlson, he felt strongly about it. And that was the insinuation he made. Uh, and, you know, it's making its rounds that Hans Neiman cheated. Okay. So uh, we've talked about this in the past, right? Trevor Bauer, once upon a time, you know, said that he's being a falsely accused of sexual assault. You can hate Trevor Bauer, like Trevor Bauer. You know, I'm personally a Giants fan, so I've never really been a Bauer guy. But like, Someone accused him of, of sexual assault. He said that person was lying and it was a pure fabrication, pure falsity. What did Trevor Bauer do? He sued that accuser. So someone's lying, right? Now I'm your petition, sue them. So I thought this was important. Someone at Emory brought it up. It was a good point. And I, you know, 
when you look at the chest defamation case, look at the Trevor Bauer defamation case, uh, and you know one of our other big cases in, in NFL folklore where the guy said he was innocent was the Deshaun Watson case. So he's not filed a defamation case there. Um, there are certain penalties to filing frivolous litigation if you know that the thing is true, yet like you file a defamation case anyway to try to like quell someone into a retraction potentially. You know, there, there are ramifications to doing it. So I find it to be pretty suspicious that Deshaun Watson has not filed a defamation case. So Evan, I, I have a Deshaun Watson update for you. Are you familiar? Do you know what I'm about to say? Is it the text messages? It is the text messages. Yeah, I've seen those. They're, uh, that's a tough look. That's a tough look on the other side. So this is an interesting one. So we'll, we'll give Tony Busby credit sometimes. Tony Busby is obviously the attorney for the previous 25 women that have sued Deshaun Watson. So he gets out of the case, Tony Busby. And people tried to drag Tony Busby through the mud. We've done a little bit here as well. But, you know, Busby's out. And for, for all of a sudden, there's a 26 lawsuit that's that doesn't have Busby involved. So everyone says, oh, wow, like tides are turning. And I was certainly one of them too. So, you know, we, we talk about defamation cases. Uh, you know, that's certainly one way to combat a frivolous, you know, if you really think someone's lying and making up a claim, you could sue them for defamation. To Sean Watson's attorneys have done something a little bit similar. Um, so uh, essentially, this 26 lawsuit was filed. And now Sean Watson's attorneys are filing a motion for sanctions against you know, the client here. So the woman in this case, uh, she, this was the woman that was claiming forced oral sex was the allegation with respect to Deshaun Watson. So pretty serious allegation. And then these Instagram DMs come out. So I'm going to read one, two, three, four, five, six, seven text messages in a row, uh, all from this purportedly from this accuser. Do you want to meet me at the Houstonian hotel? Question mark. Do you want to meet? Question mark. I have the best blank in all of Houston. I can't say that. <laughs> There's a probably an inappropriate emoji of like a flex emoji. Let me know when you're ready to make blank. People can fill that in. And you want to mean something to me? Question mark. Text me. So just trust me. They're they're inappropriate. You, I put them up in my story. You know, I don't think it's appropriate for me to read them here. People can look it up. But yeah, uh, essentially this is being I don't know whether you want to call it scorned lover or not. But Watson's accusing or alleging that this woman, he didn't reciprocate. And then she just decided to sue him. So, you know, that's, that's the fear why I think attorneys in the space were very, I don't say critical, maybe critical is the right term. Tony Busby took in, you know, upwards of, uh, I think at least 25 clients. And remember, Evan, the NFL only interviewed for purposes of their, you know, disciplinary hearing case, they only interviewed four. So there's certainly reading where like the NFL only found four of them to be verifiable. And Busby is out here with 21. So I imagine some of those other 21 are going to be credible, others to a lesser degree. But there's 20, 26. It's the first time we've seen something like that. Right. So when I say credit to Tony Busby, maybe this woman approached Tony Busby as far as we know. But, you know, not every case is worth taking in. Uh, so you and I were talking about maybe taking that Antonio Brown case because we thought we could add value, uh, you know, for a $1.2 million default judgment. Yeah, this is uh, not, not a good look. And this certainly is a potential case where sanctions could be awarded. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, uh, do you think that these texts change your opinion on the previous 25 at all? I mean, it definitely, I think, introduces some skepticism for sure. I think the initial reaction when this had all started was it's a couple people. I think people are, are more hesitant to rush to judgment. Obviously, as the more piled up, I think people kind of saw maybe this is, is real. And then something like this, it, it's unfortunate because I, I do believe that some, if not all of those you know, previous accusations are credible, but something like this kind of cast doubt on it, which is silly. I mean, to 
claim, you know, forced oral sex and then brag about your skills on the topic uh, in a text message to Deshaun is, is not the best, you know, move. And to sue someone because they didn't reciprocate the text is petty. It, it undermines uh, previous experience of alleged victims. So, yeah, I mean, this definitely throws a wrench in the whole thing. I, I don't know how Watson's dealing with it or how the, if the NFL is going to, you know, double back on this at all. I don't know if this affects his suspension, if they're considering that, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly an extra layer on top of an already, you know, really deep case. Yeah. I don't, it's not going to affect the suspension because they have that, that weird rule that like they can't, if it's as long as it's the same common nucleus in that same year uh, time frame, it's not going to extend it. You know, again, just, just trying to be fair to the situation, right? This 26th individual, you know, where are they on the, the credibility standard? You know, I'm sure they're not at the top of the line. I you know, want to say that the texts alone certainly don't prove that she doesn't have a claim, but it certainly cast doubt onto it. The problem is, you know, we we expected, and I think anybody with half a brain could have expected that more lawsuits would be filed because seemingly all these women, the first 20, you know, 20 some odd women that, that filed cases got paid at least by, you know, the Houston Texans and or, you know, Deshaun Watson. And, you know, they got, I would imagine they got something, right? So once that message is sent that compensation will be due and flowing to individuals, right. more lawsuits will come. But there are certainly going to be women who don't want to come forward for a very legitimate reason, right? That they have a job and they have kids and they don't, you know, they don't want this to their name to go through or, or whatever. But now if you have one lawsuit like this, and again, this is the first time something like this, as far as I'm aware, has, has come up, it cast out onto the, at least my opinion, it doesn't really reflect well on the other plaintiffs in the case. And it won't reflect well on the next round of plaintiffs because people will be like, look at, look at what that one plaintiff did. Um, it's all a money grab. And I certainly saw those in the comment comments. So yeah, I, I can certainly criticize Deshaun Watson for not filing a defamation case, but you know, on the other end of it, like they are fighting back at least, at least when they, when they see fit and to, to hear just is this 26 lawsuit. Yeah. Evan, do we have time for one more? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. This will be very quick. What my, what to watch for officially. How about a, what not to watch for? I have been down the Jeffrey Dahmer rabbit hole of that. Um, <laughs> of the Netflix series. A lot of people recommended it. I am not a fan. I think this is, and I'm like, I'm, I'm okay with horror movies. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I've watched my scary movies every now and then. This thing is just slow and plodding. And I'm like, my wife's like, what are you watching? He's like, this guy's like eating people and chopping them up. Why are you watching that? I'm like, why am I watching this? This is terrible. So hot take. I, I don't, I didn't like Dahmer. I didn't like that very much. So whoever is putting this up on the like top three on all of Netflix, like I'm going to have to do some audits. Like, I don't know who's watching this thing. Um, yeah, I, I don't mean, know why you're watching it. Don't watch, don't watch this. It's, it's just yeah, I mean, bad. I I never watched it. And uh, yeah, that was my that was my initial judgment. Uh, I don't think I want to spend my Friday, Saturday nights, uh, you know, in a dark room alone watching someone else eat a person. So uh, I kind of bypassed that one on the Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely don't do that. Definitely don't. And I watched seven episodes before I realized, like, why am I doing this? Do I hate myself? Why is this happening? (laughs) So all good. Yeah. So we'll put in the books. I had some stuff about Brady, but long and short, Brady with his divorce lawyers is now 0-2 has lost. I think double digits as a double digit favorite back-to-back boots, which does not happen in the NFL ever really outright, and especially a guy like Brady. So we shall see. We shall see. Evan, fantastic job today for Dan Wallach, myself, the entire Conduct Detrimental family. We'll see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. <laughs> <laughs>